How's everybody doing? Y'all ready for Christmas? Yeah. It's coming, huh? It's like a couple of days out. I was saying first service that it doesn't really feel like it yet because our kids are all still in school, right? Until right up. But it's, it's here. It's next week. Uh, we are in the middle of this series called Hope is Here. And uh, we were doing this series in the book of Isaiah. And uh, as we're going through the book of Isaiah, just reminded of all these different places that speak to Jesus. Actually, these places in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before that first Christmas, that are pointing to Jesus coming. And so we had a different Christmas service, like sermon series plan. We thought, no, wouldn't it be cool if we just focused on these passages in Isaiah that, that remind us of Christmas, that give us hope. And there's a ton of hope in these passages for us. Um, but uh, before we do that, just maybe ask this question. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you needed hope, right? That you were overwhelmed, you felt beat up, you felt pushed down, and you didn't necessarily need somebody to do something for you, but having somebody encourage you, speak words that, that kind of built you up, that gave you kind of meaning and purpose and, and a new perspective was critical in your life. I was thinking about that, and I was reminded of a story that happened to me years ago. I was a, a youth pastor up in Oregon, and we had this girl uh, in, who just started to come with our youth group, started hanging out with us, and we had this winter camp planned. It was our first winter camp that I was running, and it was way up in the mountains. We actually had to take a snowcat to get into this camp because it was, there was no pay, plowed roads getting to it. And the, the claim to fame of this camp was is there was this giant a-frame lodge, and the sledding hill actually started on top of the roof of this lodge, and you sledded out over this frozen lake. And the kids were all really excited about it. And we get there; it's late at night. And we take this sled, uh, this kind of snow cat, into the lodge, and um, we give the kids some instructions. We do a little bit of singing and worship, and then then we send them off to bed. And the next morning. These kids, they wake up and they, they open up their cabin doors and it's like a winter wonderland, you know. It's just, it's beautiful up there. And we had told the kids very specifically that there was sledding times and there was not time to sled and they needed to wait for those times, but they were 12 and doing what 12-year-olds do, right? And so they, this first group of girls, they get out and they, they look at their little A-frame cabin and they think, oh, we could sled off the roof of this thing. This would be awesome, so they take their sleds and they hike to the top of their cabin. It's all covered in snow. And, and the first girl, Sarah, she sleds down the hill. And at the bottom of the cabin roof, all the snow and the ice had kind of slid down and, and formed this jump. And she hits that jump and lands flat on her back. And I find out about this because her two friends, they come, they run. They say, Nate, Nate, we have a problem. Sarah's hurt. She's laying in the snow. And I get there, and I had just completed my four hours of CPR training, so I was an expert in all things medical. Uh, and, and we had thought she broke her back. And so we call for an ambulance. In fact, we actually had to send somebody down the mountain uh, to get out to where we could get a paramedic out there. And we knew it was going to be hours before a paramedic could get to this girl. And so our job was to keep her stable, to keep her safe. And we're like putting um, blankets and stuff in the, the dryer to warm them up and putting it around her. We're even boiling water and putting it around her, her vital organs. 
But really, the, the most important thing that I could do for this girl at this time was to encourage her. Sarah, hold on. It's going to be all right. Don't freak out. Just relax. We're icing your back right now. This is exactly what you need to be doing. Just hang on. And because she was going into shock, she was freaking out. And so the words that I was saying to her were not just hollow words, right? They weren't just nice things to say to this girl. They were actually incredibly important for her. They could have been saving her life at, the morning, at, that, at that point. Now, good news is she didn't break her back. She just broke her pelvis, so she was being a big baby, just whining in the snow there. Um, and uh, we were able to get her to the doctor, and, and everything turned out to be okay. But, um, but those words are, are crucial. And there are times in our lives that we need to hear those words. We need to hear each other. We need to look at Scripture, Scripture like the Scripture we're going to read this morning, and say, I know that you might feel overwhelmed right now. I know that when we look at all the problems in this world, all the problems in your life, maybe even all the problems in your family, it feels overwhelming. It feels like you're lying in the snow, freezing and scared. But know this, hope is here. And the passage that we're going to look at is saying just that. It's it's saying, don't stress out, don't freak out. Hope is coming. It's the servant of the Lord. And this is written 700 years before that first Christmas. And it's speaking to what Jesus was going to do on Christmas. And the people who were first reading these words of the prophet Isaiah couldn't have fully realized, couldn't have fully recognized how awesome of a promise this was. And now, 2,000 years after that first Christmas, we look back And we realize how powerful these words are, knowing that we haven't even seen the fullness of it yet, right? That Jesus is coming back, that the work that God is doing in our world is is complete, but yet not fully realized yet. And so we hear this with hope and encouragement. Give a little context to what we're about to to study. Um, Isaiah, the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are are heavy, right? They're, They're judgment, It's because you've done these things, these things are going to happen. Life is about to get awful for you guys. And there's 39 chapters of that. There's glimmers of hope within that, but they're heavy. And then in chapter 40, there's this transition in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah kind of prophetically, I believe, begins to speak to the people of Israel from the context of captivity. So all that punishment that they've been talked about for the first 39 verses is now kind of realized in their life, and the shift changes. The shift is, hold on, take hope, be encouraged. The servant of the Lord is coming. It's this picture of Christmas that they they could not have been able to grasp, that the creator of the universe, the God who stretched out the earth, that stretched out the universe, has a plan. He's not done with you. He's not done with this yet. So let's go ahead and read it together. Uh, if you want to open your Bible, it's Isaiah 42. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1, go down through verse 9. Um, so it'll be up on the screen if you want to follow there, if you want to follow in your whatever way you got to read in the Bible. All right, here we go. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now we know from our perspective that that he's talking about Jesus here. 
that this is a promise of Jesus coming. He says this, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed will not break. A faintly burnt wick he will not quench. He is faithful, or he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not go faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and in the coastlands they wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out and spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeons, from the prisons, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. This is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. What a powerful passage this is. And Jesus makes this clear in the book of Matthew that this is him. That this is, this is what he has done, what he is continuing to do in our world. It's interesting, I was kind of looking at different interpretations of this passage from different world religions, right? For people within Islam, they see this as uh, being... Uh, Muhammad that's being spoke of. Uh, typically, the people within the Jewish religion would say that this is the Jewish community that God is talking about. The servant of the Lord is actually the, the Jewish people. Yet we as Christians, when we read this, we see, we know, we put our confidence that this is Jesus that is talking about here. That this is a picture of, of what God is doing in our world. This is a picture of Christmas. This is why we have hope. This is why we celebrate Every year, it's the fact that God, the servant of the Lord, the chosen one, the one sent by him, entered into our brokenness, into our injustice to bring us justice. And that's why this morning we can say, hope is here. And, and so as we, we look through that, what is it that, that God is calling us to? Now, again, a little bit more context. Uh, in chapter 41, immediately preceding this chapter, um, Isaiah is warning the people, again, people in captivity. He goes, hey, watch out. Behold, these idols that you look to are impotent. They got no power. Now imagine this. You're in captivity. You're feeling beat up. You're feeling torn down. And you look around you, and everywhere you see, it's a very spiritual world at that time. People are very, um, a lot of uh, different idols and different gods and goddesses all around, and you see these gods and goddesses, there would be this very easy temptation to say, my life is not going the way I want my life to go. Maybe I should start worshiping that idol over there, right? Obviously, the person who conquered me is being prosperous, and they worship that god, so maybe I should worship that god. Or check out that person over there. They've got 25 kids. I only have two. Maybe I should worship that fertility god over there. Right? Hopefully nobody uh, here. That's a lot of kids. Um, but anyway. And, and so that, that's what's going on all around. And people are, are turning to all of these different things. It's really no different than we do today, right? 
when we're struggling, when we feel like we need something, when we feel like our life is not adequate the way we want it to be, we grab on to all of these different gods and goddesses, maybe not physical gods and goddesses, but different um, powers in our life that we hope to bring us something. And the reminder in, verse thir- or in chapter 39 is this reminder. Behold, those things are impotent. They are powerless. And the command that we see in verse 42 is behold the servant of the Lord. Behold, these things are coming to pass. As I look through chapter 42, the, the command I see in here is only one command. It's used twice. It's this word behold. And so from that, we kind of have our first point here that our first and our last job is to behold. It comes first in verse 1 and then again in verse 9. Behold the servant of the Lord. Behold these things that have come to pass, and now these new things are about to spring forward. Behold these things. Behold's a weird word, right? Anybody use that on a regular basis? Probably not. I don't use it very often. In fact, I had to really think about it when I read that, and I, but I kind of liked it because it made me think. It's not a word that comes to me most naturally. I think of it like in an old-timey movie. You know, you imagine the, the woman comes down the stairwell to meet her suitor as they go out on their date. And she comes down, and her suitor is standing at the door, and he says, oh, behold the beauty of you, or whatever, right? I've never said that to my wife. My wife comes out dressed up, like, oh, you look hot tonight. Let's go. You know, that's uh, not quite as formal as maybe back then. But this idea of behold, it's not just to look at something. It's not just to see something, to observe something. It it usually carries this connotation of really focusing on something that is bigger than yourself, something of value, something uh, incredible. And so I think that applies so clearly to what we should be doing, that we are to behold the power and the greatness and the work of Jesus. That that is our command, that is our, our thing to do. And what a beautiful thing to behold. It is the power of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the fact that in our brokenness, in our injustice, that God entered into the world, that the creator became created, lived amongst us, died on the cross, rose again, taking on the punishment that you and I deserve. And our job is not to do that, but to behold that. And I think especially as we're looking at Christmas time, this is a great reminder for us because there's a ton of messages of stuff you should be doing right now, right? Every commercial, everything you see on TV, on the radio says, okay, Christmas is about this. It's about doing family really well. It's about being more generous. It's about being more loving. It's about this and this and this. And all those things I think are, are important. I think a lot of those things are biblical truths as well. But the message I see in Isaiah 42 is simple. It's behold the servant of the Lord. Take a moment and stop this Christmas holiday, maybe this morning, and say, wow, I am amazed at what God is doing. And even in this passage, it goes on. It says, hey, by the way, here's what you are going to do. I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm going to lead you in righteousness. I'm going to teach you how to open the eyes of the blind, how to release people from prison. I'm going to teach you how to do justice. But still the command is, behold what I am doing, not go do all of these things. So that doesn't mean that that we're not still called to do those things, but I think it starts from a place of us beholding 
being amazed at who God is. That idea of really focusing. So that's what I want us to, to be able to do this, this morning. So and we're going to kind of work through a series of, of things that I see in this text that we are to behold. The first thing I see here is that, that we should behold what brings God joy, and that is Jesus. This passage, it begins, says, Behold the servant of the Lord in whom my soul delights. You want to know what brings me pleasure? You want to know what I love? You want to know what I look at? And I go, yeah, that is beautiful. That is right. That is awesome. That's me, Jesus coming into this world. And if that's what brings God delight, shouldn't that bring us delight as well? And part of our beholding is is to seeing that. It can be easy for me, especially when I'm thinking about God entering the world, to kind of almost feel like it's a little bit of a plan B. You know, like we tell the the story of the, the good news of Jesus, kind of like this, right? Like, okay, God created humanity perfect. We screwed everything up. God up in heaven went, oh, man, how am I going to fix this? Well, I guess I could send Jesus into the world. He could fix this problem. And that's kind of sometimes how we can be tempted to tell that story. And yet the truth of this is that God in eternity past knew exactly what we were going to do and has this plan to bring himself glory, to show the beauty of who he is that through Jesus coming into the world, we get a glimpse, a picture into the heart of God, the very compassion and love and greatness and glory of God. And and as we dwell on that, as we behold that, it should blow us away. It should amaze us. It's incredible for us to think about. Verse five, I think, really drives this point home. It says, thus says God, thus the Lord. So in other words, listen up. This is important. He says, I'm the one who stretched out the heavens. When you look up into the night sky and it goes on beyond your imagination, beyond your perspective, know that that was me. That stretched out the earth. I'm the one who measured distance. I'm the one who defined the laws of gravity, defined the laws of physics that you live within. And if you are living, if you are breathing, if you are talking, that's because my breath of life is in you. It's incredible to think about it, isn't it? And I'm the one who sent my servant, Jesus, to earth. And so as we, we celebrate Christmas especially, I think it's, it's so vital for us just to be reminded of the importance of this day. That it's not just celebrating a great person who came to earth or, or who lived. It's not even celebrating the greatest person who ever lived. It's the celebration of God entering into earth, into our world. There's all these moments in human history that are important, right? You can think back, like if you were to pick the, the most important moments in human history, like probably the creating of the wheel, that was pretty, pretty cool, right? That, that rises up there. Maybe the rise and fall of Rome. Maybe for us in the U.S., we might put the Declaration of Independence up there as an important moment in human history. Yet none of those compare to the amazing reality that Jesus came to earth. That that is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? It's that, that God with us. And it's not that on that December 25th or whatever day of the week or month it was that Jesus became into existence, right? It's, that's not the day that he was. 
It's not even nine months before that that he was. That in eternity past, at the creation, at the formation of the world, Jesus was. And yet in that moment, he came into our, into in a physical way into our world. And, and we marvel at that. We, we should be amazed by that. And, and I think that's something really for us to, to process and to think about. Uh, another thing is, as we look at this that, that I think we should behold is this idea of justice. Behold the work of justice that is happening in our world. That was a major theme in this passage, right? It says that uh, the servant of the Lord, he comes to bring justice. As throughout the book of Isaiah, it's this longing for justice. In fact, throughout the Bible, there's this theme of justice and the justice that, that God is going to do in, in our world. And that speaks to where we're all at. I think all of us would say that we look at our world, we look at our environment, the things that are around us, and at some point we go, man, this isn't right. We shouldn't treat each other the way we treat each other. It's not right that so, some people have so little and others have so much. It's not right that we dominate each other in this way or that way. We need justice in here. So we long for that. But even in my, like, if I look kind of introspectively, I realize my need for justice, even in my own life. I was reflecting this week on just some ways I was interacting with some friends of mine and just realizing that the things I was saying were just kind of cutting. Like the jokes I was making, they weren't uplifting. They weren't encouraging. I was just kind of tearing people down a little bit with my humor. And it just struck me. It's like, man, here I am. I'm a grown man. Why is it that I feel the need to tear other people down to build myself up? There's this injustice in my life. It rubs me wrong. I, I realize that it's brokenness, and I, I long for it to be made right. And, and as we look at the story of Jesus, we look at the servant of the Lord coming into our world, we see a story of justice. We see a story of hope that God is making all things right, that he is repairing the brokenness of our world. But also we look at the reality of our world, right? It's been 2,000 years since that first Christmas and there's still a lot of injustice in our world, huh? Even in my own personal life, I've been a Christian a long time and I look at my soul, my life, and there's still a lot of injustice in my life. And I think this passage gives us perspective. It gives us hope. It says this, it says that he will not grow faint. He will not be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands await for his law. There, there's this reality that, that we long, we wait. We know that, that in Christmas, in the fact that God entered into our world, that he lived a righteous life, that he died for our salvation to make right the world, that that work has been completed, yet we still wait for it to be fully realized when Jesus comes back again. And, and so we are waiting for that justice. We long for that justice. But we have this confidence that, that it is happening, that it has happened. There's a quote that gets thrown around a lot that Martin Luther King Jr. kind of made famous it's that quote that uh, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Maybe you've heard that before. And I think that there's a, even a deeper reality than when we just apply it to our own actions, when we see what Jesus is doing. That we look at our world and we go, man, 
There's so much injustice. But I can have confidence that God is restoring all things, that he's making all things right, even if I can't see it right now, that, that he is doing it in my life. And I love it that in this passage we see um, this picture that God is doing this in our own lives, right? He says, I'm going to grab you by the hand in my righteousness. I'm going to lead you along. I'm going to teach you what it means to be people of justice. And so when we see justice happening in our world, I think we can celebrate what God is at work doing. Even though we, we long for it to be even more complete, we can see that and go, wow, that's awesome. That is a heart of who God is. In fact, God says, I'm going to make you my covenant people amongst all the nations. In other words, you're my sample, right? When, when people see justice in your life, they're not going to necessarily just see you. They're going to see a picture of me. The other day, we were painting a wall at our house, and we went down to Home Depot, you know, and we kind of picked out the paint color we wanted, and you can buy that little paint can. Have you ever bought that? It's a waste of money. But anyway... <laughs> You can get that tiny little paint can. It costs you a couple of bucks, and you can paint it on your wall. And it's not exactly like all the right, um, like, hues or what, like, hues, uh, eggshell or satin or whatever. It's like just the normal whatever one kind of sheen. But you get an idea of what it's going to look like. And I think that's what we get to be as a church. It's not a picture of how great we are. But when people see justice lived out in our lives, it, it turns us that we should worship God for that and go, wow, God is a just God. He is working out this incredible plan in our life. That's why when Jesus quotes this passage in Matthew 12, he says, I have done these things. I am doing these things. Even the things that we're called to do, we're doing it through the work, through the power of Jesus. So when we look at our world, when we look at the injustices, the brokenness, are we Trusting in Jesus in those things? Are we beholding his power? Another thing um, I think we should behold is just be overwhelmed by this humble power of Jesus. This is amazing. God describes Jesus as his servant. Again, not a, a title of a lot of power and class, right? I'm sending you my servant. And let me tell you how my servant is going to work. He's not going to go around running through the streets bragging about how awesome he is. He's not going to have these big elaborate campaigns that he's going to shout and make everybody just trust him and believe in him. In fact, he's going to do this in such a way that as he walks past a reed, a piece of grass that's like already bruised, it's already starting to fall over, he's not going to knock it over when he walks by. And if there's a, a tiny wick, you know, just a little spark, flame going. When he walks by, he's not going to extinguish that wick. You ever been trying to like light your campfire and it's a little bit windy out and you get that match going and just the, the motion of putting it down into the, the fire, it burns out and how frustrating that is. It's just, it's this weak thing and it's saying that Jesus is going to come in such a humble way that that wick will not even be extinguished. Can you imagine if Jesus was running for president of our country with this campaign strategy? All right, here's the deal. I'm not going to campaign. I'm not going to brag about how awesome I am. I'm not going to take out a bunch of ads. I'm just going to slowly and constantly work for justice and righteousness. We'd go, yeah, that's not going to work. Sorry. Right? Yet this is the plan of God, and it says, and he's not going to grow weary. He's not going to give up. He's not going to get tired until this work of justice 
is complete. What a powerful picture this is. Even when we look at the life of Jesus, the, the very idea of him being born in a manger, being born, coming into the world as a baby, uh, his training of 12 super ordinary people, maybe you could even argue are less than ordinary, nondescript people that end up becoming the leaders of this global movement that has transformed our entire world. So much so that around the world, people from almost every country, probably every country in the world, from almost every language group in the world, praise and worship God through the work that, that Jesus has done in these people. This, this humble work that is overwhelming and incredible. And so I think as, as we think about this Christmas season, just again, as we look at that manger scene, that that picture of innocence and weakness and humility, just that, that beholding the power of God worked out in such a humble way, being amazed by that. The last thing I, I see this passage um, just encouraging us to behold, I think it's kind of the obvious thing, um, but it's the thing that maybe is the most difficult to do, is to behold the awesomeness of God. Okay, do we behold the awesomeness, the power, the incredibleness of who God is? In verse eight, it says that I am the Lord God, this is my name. That's a powerful statement to make, right? It's this reminder, this is who I am. And I don't think God thinks we've forgotten his name because most of us, if we smash our thumb with a hammer, we remember God's name pretty quick, right? It's not that we don't know the name of God, it's that we have forgotten the power of who God is. In our lives, that we've forgotten the awesomeness of who God is. We've forgotten just the incredibleness of what his name means and what it, it means in our life. And so we live our life with God there, and yet we don't access him. We don't turn to him. We don't trust in him. We don't behold him. I've talked quite a bit in here about how much I love mountain biking. And uh, I remember when I first got into mountain biking, I got this bike, and it was an adequate bike, right? It was not fancy. It was like a $100 garage sale bike. You pedaled the pedals, and it went places, right? It worked. And, uh, but there was this uh, bike shop down in San Jose that offered these demo days. For like 40 bucks, you could try all the fanciest bikes, and you could ride them all over, and you could ride till your legs fell off. And I remember going to that event and just thinking, this is the most fun thing. This is so awesome. Uh, this is great. I get to ride all these bikes for 40 bucks. And then the next year, Becca, for Christmas, bought me uh, a great mountain bike, a mountain bike I love that had all the things that I wanted. So that next year when that demo day rolled around, I wasn't interested in going to it, right? Why would I go spend 40 bucks to ride somebody else's bike when I could go ride my bike for free, something I was comfortable on, something I knew? And I, I think that's kind of a a broken illustration, it's, it's even not even, because God is not just some consumer product that we have. God's not just a mountain bike that, that might or might not work well for us. God is the creator of the universe, the one who designed us, the one who stretched us out, that decided how big, how tall, what we were going to look like, that decided what our world was going to look like. He's the one who created us and entered into our world, bringing hope and salvation to us, and, and we should access that. We should turn to that. We should behold that. We should spend time focusing on the awesomeness of who God is. So I want to read this passage to us one more time 
And as we read it together, maybe, or as I read it, just maybe uh, this is a time for you to kind of reflect back and kind of behold who God is and what he's teaching us in this passage. Um, after we get done reading, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, just to encourage you, um, after the service, we have time. Um, if you want to come forward and have us pray for you, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, or if you even just wanted to come home, come home, come forward and uh, take some time just uh, beholding the greatness of God, just expressing that back to him, whatever that works for you, that there's space available for that. So let me read this to us. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burnt wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, spread out the heavens and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prisoners who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is our, this is our hope. These are those words as we're laying, maybe in the snow, maybe scared, maybe overwhelmed. Say, no, the servant of the Lord has come. So this Christmas, as you're kind of looking, I think really the, the command for all of us is the same. Maybe you're expecting to celebrate a great Christmas this year, filled with friends and family, and it's going to be an, an awesome time. Make sure as we do that, we behold the greatness of God and his plan. Maybe your Christmas looks totally different. Maybe it's not a time you're necessarily looking forward to. Maybe it's a time of loss and pain. I think our, our command, our call is the same, is to behold the greatness and the power of God, to find our hope and our confidence in that. Let me pray for us. God, we don't behold you enough. We don't recognize your greatness enough. We thank you that even though we miss it, even though we don't see you, even though we live our lives kind of numb to what you're doing, that you don't stop doing what you've done and what you are continuing to do. We praise you for bringing justice. We, we ask for justice in our own lives. We ask to be people of righteousness, people who serve you and to follow you with all of our lives. God, we thank you for what you've done, the story of Christmas, the fact that you've entered into our world, that you've given us salvation. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. 
Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.